welcome to episode two of series three of Cherry Jam. Um, a bit of a special again episode again this week. Um, I've got uh, an interview coming up a bit later in the podcast with Bill Batterstone, who's an American uh, Gloucester rugby supporter based in Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, Bill and I had a chat on uh, Saturday evening after the Lions game. Um, and um, so that, that so that'll be it's an interesting discussion, and it's very odd talking to a guy from America who has no um, background or, or basis with Gloucester Rugby who just picked us out uh, following a very interesting meeting with a couple of um, lads from Cheltenham. Um, before that, though, we're going to talk about the Lions and the first test victory for the Lions over South Africa. Um, this week, I'm joined by Russ Brooks and Snowy or James Eastwood. Um, Jim might join us a, a bit later. He's having some technical problems and Lawrence is currently having some sort of very nice meal out. So lucky him. Uh, right, um, we'll crack on straight away then, really, guys. Um, who wants to go first in their review of the Lions' win over South Africa in the first test? You go first, Russ. <laughs> okay. um, shit first half, better second half. We won the first test is kind of, you know, the main thing with the Lions is you have to win the first test, really, don't you? I'm sure there's some stupid start I've heard about how important winning the first one is and how many teams that win the first test go on to win. So it takes a bit of pressure off, but it was it was far from perfect, but there were some really good performances, particularly in the pack, I thought. Mm. Um, trying not to go from an English bias, but Laws was ridiculous. And Atoje just was he, he just seems to deliver on the big games doesn't he those games where you have to deliver he's just everywhere I mean that turnover right at the end um was you know just him all over he just works tire tirelessly some great turnovers um there's a lot to work on isn't there um not a fan of Warren Ball in that game plan. You know, it's so frustrating when you've got a team like South Africa to see players just running into that, into that. And I still don't know why Harris is, why Daly's in over Harris, for example. There's that, that I really wish would change. I, I don't think they'll change much, but I, I, the I backs think need I, to step up a bit, I would have thought. Yeah, I, I can, the thing is, I do understand why Daly's in, he's certainly in the squad, Getting in the first fifteen is a is an argumentative point, but I get why he's in the squad, um, and it's because one he can kick. Um, not, he missed, not, he it, missed the one he well, needed to kick. Though, I mean, yeah, he? if but, you're being harsh, that's a, yeah, that is slightly harsh. But yeah, he he, he can he, you know he's able to kick, but not just out off the tee. He's kicking from hat from hand. Um, he's also able to cover instantly able to cover three positions on the field. Isn't he? He's yeah. He, I mean, I'm not center. saying I'm not, it's, this is not a slight on him. I just don't necessarily think he should be starting at 13, especially no. with the game plan that Gatlin plays. And it's kind of, it's always hard to be critical of Gatlin because you want to moan about it. Don't necessarily like that style, but they win, which to be honest with the Lions is all that matters really. I mean, you, the selection criteria though, on that basis is so conservative that it's mm. like okay i this this is my big issue with it like it was it was a game for the purists but not like we normally say it's a game for the purists it was a game for the purists of the purists because the standard <laughs> wasn't even it wasn't even that good um it was it, south africa were a bit of a scrappy side i don't think they're that good and what we did as we predicted a couple of weeks ago on the podcast is we just played their style of game slightly better to eat the win. And I, 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 and my issue is I think ultimately 
the lions is a series that has to be entertaining and there is an amount of entertaining in two teams sort of going hammer and tong and the score staying tight and there not being much sort of flair and stuff but i'm actually really struggling to get really bought into the series this year because i i think there's a big opportunity in this series where we could go out we've got some real creative players in the squad where we could go out and actually play some really good rugby and play and beat south africa in an entertaining way and we're choosing not to and i i'm just i i, I don't think we ha- some sometimes you go and play a team like new zealand at their best and you have to play a certain way to give yourself a chance of winning but i don't think that's the case with this south africa side so i think it's a missed opportunity do, I do know, you think sorry yeah do you think that, I mean, one thing I really did notice at the weekend, which was obviously it was kind of very similar to the, to the season uh, before in terms of the, the league season where players are having to kind of create their own atmospheres on the pitch. Um, and what I did notice, I think it probably more so than any others, the Lions kind of feed off that that crowd um, feeling, don't they? They, they feed off the, the atmosphere, et cetera. And I, I, it felt very flat. First 40 minutes particularly felt really flat. Um yeah. Where it, it was did, weird, it, it was, you know, where they didn't get over the gain line because the, that that Warren Ball style of play didn't get over the gain line. They kind of then were like, re, you know, giving away stupid penalties, making silly mistakes. Yeah. I mean, the penalty count was ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. But then it was for South Africa as well. The second half, South Africa put us back. They were lucky, you know. There were some weird decisions all over, but they were very lucky not to have a player in the bin for persistent offences. Eight in a row, wasn't it? This is my other issue with it because, and I think the reason the penalty count was high is they looked like a team that hadn't played together before, mm-hmm. and which is true. And we've had all those warm-up games, and they they're sort of completely invalid for the team you're going to pick because you've got wingers like Van der Meer, who's like running in tries left, right, and centre. You're, when you're putting sort of 60 points on a side and the players that do well in that environment when you're playing that style of rugby just so, is yeah. irrelevant compared to I, the team that you need to build to be creative, work together, score good tries against a South Africa test team. Like, I like know, no, I, that's been my biggest annoyance of this, I think, Snowy, is, is, is the belittling of those test of those games before when they're like, well, they're a weakened opposition. So what we've got to do is go on past form. If that's the case, don't bother having the fucking games beforehand. Because Josh, yeah. if I was Josh Adams, I'd be thinking, well, why did I bother? Why did I run in all those tries if you're going to say those games are meaningless? Or, but but to know, be fair, I think Gatland sort of did go on form in a way. Yeah. Like he could he could have averted type and just put like foul at ten, which so and I think he he has made some brave decisions, but they're brave decisions picking players that are also a bit Darland still playing a very sort of one-dimensional yeah, game plan. I yeah. I think, you know, not picking Faletau seemed quite controversial, didn't it? A lot of people were surprised yeah, by that. Yeah, and then Conan an absolute stormer. <laughs> that whole so, back, that back row, to be fair, was superb, weren't they? I think the pack won that game for us. I mean, the the one, the, the, the Klerk, Faf de Kirk try was farcical from us and the disallowed try as well. There was some really bad, and, and you know, that's not a slight on yeah, Bigger's played well, and I think you know his, if he is, it'll be interesting if he passes his HIA because he's been, you know, he had a good controlling influence. And yeah. Farrell actually isn't a bad option off the bench when you want to slow it down and control it. But I just that what what does worry me going forward is having a bench like that, and we're having to chase a game. So you go into the that's where you would want someone like um, Reece Samit or someone on the bench who can just offer something different. And I just worry about that going yeah. forward because 
I imagine South Africa are going to come hard now because they've got to win this second test, haven't they? So that will be interesting. Um, we've been joined by Jim. Thanks very much. I know you've had some technical problems, Jim, so thank you for joining us. Uh, as as you can tell, we're talking about the Lions, so I'll um, I'll come to you now and get your thoughts on the Lions. What well, uh, you're generally the most po- more positive of the of the group, uh, i.e., one-eyed. Uh, so you can <laughs> you can go f- have your say as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've all mentioned it, but yeah, first half penalty came terrible. Second half penalty came much much improved. I think it it's um, Alan Wynne Jones was just doing what he does just better than anyone in the world. And that is talking to the referee constantly and keeping him on side. It was brilliant. And, and I kind of, it was a bit, ugh when he got picked as captain in the first place, I was a bit, Oh goodness, really? Are they going to play him again? Um, in this, you know, fantastic 10th uh, test in the professional era, first guy to do it. And he proved it because he just, managed to control Nick Berry, didn't he? Um, that just got him to listen when he needed him to, didn't upset him, didn't get anything overturned, you know, um, reversed or anything like that. It was, um, the refereeing was, was, was strange. Mm-hmm. Um, lots, lots of, lots of funny calls. Um, and probably, for, for, you know, from both sides, I think uh, you said about the our back row, I thought Curry was a little bit um, overeager, shall we say? Um, gave away a couple of penalties. First half, yeah, yeah. Little shoulder on Faf. Yeah. Um, probably if it wasn't his club mate, he probably wouldn't have done it. But because they know each other as well as they do, he was just letting him know he was there. Um, and that is so so silly because TMOs are going to pick up on that sort of stuff. So I don't, I can't imagine any of the. Lions squad are going to be so silly next time to, you know, oh, we've got a fantastic hack through. Let's sprint up in a massive dog leg and, oh, 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 where have they gone? Oh, yeah, they're 40 metres the other yeah. side. Yeah, he was, um, it, you know, that, that was, was really, really naive, really yeah. naive. And, and, and it is because they're a thrown together team. But, you know, you don't you don't do that at any point in rugby. Um, just blindly sprint up a hundred mile an hour against a, a side that can put a step in and and get past you. So I'm really looking forward to the second test. I think the second test, um, like Russ said, you know South Africa, if they want to win the series, they have to win. So it the pressure is all on them. And I think that that could really um, that could really do do the Lions well because they they've probably got more to work on, more to improve on than South Africa have. So That's I think good. yeah, I think I think I think Lions, if they if they tweak a few things, if they um, make a few changes, I'm sure. Uh, I think like like you said, Snowy, if they play with a little bit more flair, or if they're allowed to play with a little bit more flair, a little bit more excitement. Um, then I can I can see a, a bigger margin of victory in the second test. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the, the game will unfold pretty much the same as the first one, where there's a 50-50 chance almost of which team's going to win it based on sort of timing and a bit of luck here and there. And if it comes out as us, then we might go out and play a different game plan in the third test. And if it comes out of South Africa, we'll see exactly the same style of game again and hopefully we'll yeah. come out on the yeah. third test. Which is really sad, isn't it? Um, because that's always the way... 
that when the series is won, then you go, well, what we'll do now is we'll put Marcus at 10 and we'll have Simmons at eight and we'll do all those sorts of things that, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be a risk, but it would be a total change of game I plan. Think, and then what yeah. they'll probably end up doing in the third test, if that were the case, they'll end up winning by 40 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it'll, go, then it'll go down to South Africa weren't in it. Yeah, I think what's frustrating is they've shown and Gatlin was like when we played New Zealand, like so Snowy said, we had to play differently to be in with competing. And actually, we played some really good rugby with reasonably similar personnel and the same bloody coach. Um, but they, they have to create a few more chances next time because I just can't see us. You know, a, a Karen Dickey drive over is pretty much a given in rugby, but. Beyond that, and someone needs to tell Henshaw to run with the ball in two fucking hands. Um, yeah, that was that it, was. It, uh, it's a shame Lawrence wasn't here because that, that was that as was, close to a recreation of yeah. his try when his legs were moving fast in his body as he told <laughs> us when he because it just disappeared out of it. Like Will Greenwood was going on about what a good tackle it was, but it flew out of his hands before Larue even tackled him. Well, I, and was, it was, I was listening to South African uh, South African commentary, and. Um, it was quite funny. <laughs> it was one of those ones that summed up what annoys me about Warren Ball because they were like, they showed the replay, like they showed the highlights on Channel 4. No one was on the open side of the pitch. All our back line was on the blind side and we got lucky that there was just an overload because you could see De Kirk was like, literally stood there waving his arms screaming and we spotted the overlap. But as soon as Henschel bust, it's in one hand, he's got three people inside him, two people outside, and he doesn't look once to give the ball. And that's, that's I think, is what frustrates me. And that's not just a dig at the lines. That's just rugby in general sometimes. It was like that was just a simple pop through the hands and someone's under the sticks. And yeah. that's what worries me long. You know, if South Africa come out, get it together, get a couple of tries or get ahead and we have to chase the game, playing that game plan with the, those personnel, I just don't, don't see it and like so, Snowy said we've got players who can but if they're not in the squad then you can't even bring them on to do it that's that's my concern I, I I've, it'll probably end up being a 15-12 kick well, fest now I've said I, that I, I think I, I the biggest work on South Africa have got from the, the game on, on the weekend was they need fitness mm-hmm. and they aren't they aren't let's be honest they're not going to improve the fitness enough in a week it, it, it's just impossible you can't you know, it looked to me, South Africa, at about 65 minutes, were pretty much out on their asses. Um, you know, the players they were bringing on weren't having an impact. Um, their props, I mean, the fact they had to change their front row at half-time tells yeah, you a lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, you know, Moster... And, that, who and had- that's great, because normally you'd expect in that final quarter... Mm. Fresh props make a difference. I, I think that was big actually flat. that wasn't yeah. the case at all. Yeah, so they 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 looked absolutely knackered uh, at about 65, 70 minutes. Um, and the penalty count, I mean, Will Greenwood mentioned it enough, but it was true that every time Lions went through more than five or six phases, South Africa gave away a penalty because they were knackered. You know, you, you make you make mistakes in defense when you're tired, and um they were they were struggling um every time Lions put through a few phases. Um, move them side to side a little bit, and they give away a penalty. Um, and, I, and and that to me is the biggest problem South Africa have got. I just can't see how they're going to get the fitness in in the next week um, to, to to make up for it. What they can do is they can make it niggly. They can make it 
a little bit dirty um, and they can sort of drag the lions into more of a sort of a, a brawl, a, a fist fight, rather than actually if the lions are able to move them around the pitch, which is what they did in the second half. Um, we, uh, and I think also you have to give credit to the likes of Big O and then when Farrell came on, uh, the tactical kicking, the, the territorial kicking by Lyons second half was a lot better. Pinned, pinned South Africa back um, and the South African kicking wasn't as good. And that that kind of where it was. Um, in terms of injuries, it looks like Bigger has got an HIA, which he needs to pass. Um, if he doesn't, it's going to be an interesting decision for Gatlin because I know I kind of put on the on Twitter about the best, you know, Chris Harris has had his best game at centre um, for a while because... Um, Daly was having a shocker. Henshaw didn't have a great game. Um, but the problem is with someone like Farrell coming in and can play, say, say for example, he says that um, uh, Bigger plays 10. So he, he passes his HIA. Farrell comes in at 12. Um, you, would you, can you see Harris coming in for Daly or would he be a no, bit more? Before, or no, would I, he, I, you know, will he put Aki in? I wouldn't pick Harris purely because of that style of gameplay. Harris, if anything, is okay. He 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 should be in there because he is vulnerable. Mm. Like yeah. he does a really good defensive job. He's not. You're not adding an edge into the centre really with Harris. To be fair, um, as you know, he's he's solid in attack and he pits great lines and stuff. Mm. But I'd rather have like a Watson or someone in there that that can actually sort of uh, step and make some space and just mix it up. Because as, as you said, to come back to your point, Ed, I think what what South Africa did well and we did poorly in the first half is we were trying to assert forward dominance so so quickly rather than being patient that we were then just giving away penalty after penalty after penalty trying to win turnovers. When really what we should have done is just not let them have it, but just be really sensible. We only go for the 100% options, not the 50% options, knowing that after half an hour, they're already starting to flag those forwards. And the, as you said, the fitness difference in the second half was was huge, I think. Yeah, yeah, I we mean, kept the ball that, on the pitch so much to me. That was yeah. the other thing. I, I think Watson will stay in the side on the wing because he, he had a good first half. He was very lively in the first half, less less involved in the second for whatever reason, probably because the tactical kicking came in more. But I think you'd keep Harris on the wing. I just... The fitness makes me think all, more and more you would want someone like Josh Adams or um, Reese Summit on the bench just so when they are knackered, you've got like you, ima- you imagine, you imagine being, that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a pack blowing out my ass, and then I've got to go and chase down Reese Summit or Josh Harris coming after him. even if it's tactical kicking, you've got those two hairing after you. No it, f- it, in in that style of game as with Wales, that's where you want someone like Reece Summit because yeah. it could just be that snap little moment where ball's kicked over the top or there's a bit of a fluff and you need just that pure yeah. pace finisher. So that's why I say that Van der Beek, I get he had a great build-up, but fitting the into build this style relevant. of team... Yeah. Yeah. Said, we, yeah. the, I mean, the, the, the build-up games, and I, I think unless you're playing in New Zealand, you know the, the provincial teams just aren't anything like the level required to really get you ready for the for the tests and i think so that, it, they're, they're, like you said russ they were they were almost pointless um, i mean and, all and you it doesn't need prove what players are going to perform well come the test 
South Africa have got a match winner on that pitch in, in Colby. He showed it in the, the A game. He didn't get much ball, but he makes that one break and puts them in. So that's the value of a player like that. And I do think that's what a Reese Samet or a Josh Adams, I'd take one or I one or the other on the bench to come on because Liam Williams didn't offer a lot when he came on, I didn't think. The advantage he's got is he can play fullback, I guess, but I don't know. And, and fly half, I, I think it, a lot hinges on bigger because I think bigger... I think you're right with that centre combo, Ed. I can't see Harris getting in if if Farrell comes in because, like, he is very similar. Yeah, the, the, uh, the problem the problem Harris has got is unless he's picked specifically for a job, um, he's not. You know, he's basically having to replace two centres because yeah. Farrell's going to come in and play sort of a second ten stroke centre. So that, that's the problem he's got. I, no, I do I, think I do think Harris is um is probably very unlucky. Reese Summit is the one probably if, if we're going to be yeah. biased since they'll both roster players, Reese Summit might come in. Um but again we'll probably we'll, we'll we're gonna be entirely wrong and he'll play the third test when we're when we need to when we can just you know have a bit of fun. Um what I was going to do now, so we'll just pause quickly and come back for a brief chat um, because uh, Jim wanted to just uh, touch on, uh, there is another rugby rugby tournament going on. Uh, it's the Olympic Sevens, which I think starts tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, 1am tomorrow. 1am tomorrow. Um, so we'll, we'll just quickly touch on that. Um, and then that'll be pretty much it for the pod this week. Because I said, I've got my uh, interview with Bill Batterstone um, uh, and uh, we will, we will um, come back shortly. Uh, right, we're going to talk about um, the uh, Olympic Sevens, which are due to start again uh, tomorrow. Um, Jim is our resident seven expert, and um, I know Snowy and Russ are really, really going to be looking forward to adding their two pennies worth. We'll do it now. So, Russ, who do you think is going to win the Sevens? Fiji, I'll go, right. go real. I'll go high risk. Fiji, Snowy, who do you reckon is going to win the sevens? I was going to say Fiji. So because he's taken Fiji, I'm going to say Canada. Ooh, ooh, Canada! <laughs> wow, he's gone. He's gone rogue. Um, and Jim, are you talking uh, men's or women's? I'd buy both. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Go on then, Jim. Let's have a serious discussion about the sevens for, for a couple of minutes, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll rock onto something more silly. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I mean, Team GB, um, they are a, a sort of mixture, aren't they? Of a few different yeah i do you know what i haven't been following the seven series for the last couple of years probably because it hasn't really happened for the last couple yeah. of years because <laughs> it's all about travel uh, and that hasn't happened um but i think you know you like russ fiji are always incredibly good and actually if you get thrown into a tournament with minimal preparation or minimal um you know serious competition in the run-up Fiji are the team with natural flair and ability that will just win games anyway. So I think they've got to be favourites. I mean, obviously they're the current um, gold medal holders. So, I mean, that, and, that... and you put New Zealand as well. So it's going it's, it's to be it's going to be a good tournament. Um, it's just a shame it's on at stupid o'clock in the morning. Yeah, well, it's was... on the BBC, so I don't fucking show it anyway because they only show two sports at one time, as I found out the other day when I couldn't watch the fucking end of the cycling because it was an eye player to pricks. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, okay, there we go. Day. Um, but but to be fair, I was looking at the I was looking at the groups for the Olympic sevens, um, and obviously it looks like to be fair, Team GB have given been given a fairly um, 
let's should we say uh, easy group. Um, it's it's like, not that, uh, Canada, it's not, Japan. It, yeah, yeah. It, it's not the hardest, is it? It's English. It's Canada, Japan, and then who else have we got? We've got uh, uh, the. Uh, is that well, the? We, we've got we got Fiji. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fiji. Oh, yeah. <laughs> easy well. group, Fiji. Yeah. Well, you know, but the point is, two teams qualify, and then if you go to the women's, they've got um, Russia, I think, or the Russian Olympic Committee. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, New Zealand, New Zealand. Yeah, um, and who else have they got? Uh, Kenya, Kenya. Okay, so um, you expect Kenya? You expect I'm not sure about Kenyan women, mm. but uh, the, Ken- the Kenyan right, men uh, are very good. You know, they've won. Well, they beat one they... or two of the seven series um, tournaments. You know, uh, they are yeah. far and away the best African. Well, I say actually, that's no South Africa are the best African uh, side, mm. but they are up there they're kind of one of the top top eight um, yeah sides of the world but the, Ke- so, the kenyans the kenyans were the, that was that was the big shock back in 2016 wasn't it because i think the kenyans beat uh new zealand in one of the group games if my memory serves me right yeah that was yeah, the they're, big they're, they're a good they're a good seven side yeah the is, sevens. Uh, i think with um with sevens and you know rio uh four years ago or well, five years ago um, it kind of put a lot of interest. So the, the, the Russians, yeah. the Americans, the Kenyans, uh, and a few other nations suddenly took an interest in rugby. And I think Kenya's um, a, a real typical country that has the ability to compete on the seven circuits to a really high standard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but just because of you know the the nature of um, Kenyan athletes makeup they're not going to be massive props then they're, they're not huge muscular guys they're fast they're um, endurance athletes uh, traditionally so when it comes to sevens they're really really good and when it comes to 15s they can't really perform anything like to the same level on the national stage you've so, got a lot it's, it's a step up to develop 15s as well i think it's, Jim, yeah, money you've wise, got to learn all the technicality yeah the money the investment but also the infrastructure the ability to develop a scrum there's a lot more involved isn't there sevens is a good it's almost like a good entry and like you said bring it into the olympics just put it out into the limelight even more hasn't it yeah um, yeah and, and i'm sure it's only going to be you know a matter of time that um you know, America has obviously they've got their major league rugby now. Um, Canada the same. Um, so I'm sure that you're going to get m- many more Kenyans playing rugby, and therefore the 15s game in Kenya will will, will grow, and then they'll have a much stronger um, national 15s team off the back of that. Um, so oh, yeah, hopefully, so. hopefully, you know, world rugby are doing that. Yeah. Kind of the, the 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 Olympics from Rio. It, they're not going to just dwell on that, and it, they're going to keep the keep the interest and keep the growth on the international stage. And we could tarp on for years about um, the total lack of investment in grassroots rugby around the world. But hopefully, this will be another um, catalyst for for interest globally in rugby. Mm. I, I think yeah. the like the shortened version of a lot of sports, especially the bigger sort of global sports, the more like arcadey versions, just suit something like the Olympics well, really well. And if yeah. you look at look at the hundred in cricket, right? If that 
I know that's that's controversial, but if that took off, that'd be perfect as an Olympic sport, and you can get yeah. more teams involved in it because the you you don't have to quite have that skill level quite so high because it is a bit more arcadey. Like the, I find the football in the Olympics the most boring thing, but if they did five aside football or like the sort of Masters League style six aside, is it football? Yeah, in, I think that would be really entertaining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would yeah. I would pay yeah. for them to do Masters League football and have Gaza be an Olympic <laughs> athlete. I just yeah. that's, that's gold. Well, I meant the format. This has really to like. happen. For me, the the Olympics is the pinnacle of sport. Right. And it should be the pinnacle of all sport. And so if it's not going to be the pinnacle of football, for example, because they have some stupid, complicated rule about age groups and stuff, then actually just change it. So it's not football, football. It's like you say, five aside football. I, I think I like the idea of futsal. Different... That'd be good. That's brilliant. You know, they brilliant. brought in, beach, they yeah. brought in beach volleyball because actually it's much more popular than volleyball um, as a spectator sport, yeah. and we could harp. I, I wonder on about why. It. Well, they're, they're trying <laughs> to appeal. The, they could harp on about the kit, and I'm all for the girls, um, you know, standing up and saying we don't want to wear this crap. Yeah, um, the Norwegians who got fined for that yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah, really. it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But, um, but it is. It's about you know the Olympics is a spectacle, and it should be. Um, it, it should be for people to enjoy watching, and I, actually, futsal is that's a, that's a great game to Imagine watch. Imagine if it's you had like shot. Sancho or and Ronaldo and stuff playing futsal at the Olympic stage. Yeah, I mean they're doing it. They're appealing. They're trying to appeal to younger audiences with things like skateboarding as well, aren't they? Because yeah. this well, is the first year in. I and... mean, we're kind of drifting away from the rugby here, but there was a brilliant. I, there was a new sport. I didn't even realize it being included until it got brought up yesterday. It's um, it's three on three basketball. Uh, so it's half court. Well, it's not even half court. It's like quarter court. And it's just the funniest thing in the world to watch. Um, so so and- hang on. Sorry, I didn't realise this. So because the Americans got beaten by the French at basketball yeah. mm. and they don't like that, they've now brought in another game of basketball. Yeah, but they didn't. the Americans didn't qualify for the three-on-three. Oh, this is even top, better. Which is it's hysterical because I'm not being funny. I reckon if you went anywhere in America, so any like inner city, um, and picked three guys off the street... They probably would beat most other places in the world, just you know, like some three uh, guys what, from national, Philadelphia. The national best three teams. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they would do this, right? Anyway, I, if you get a chance, and I will try and find it and, and send it up on their Twitter, uh, on our Twitter, there is a clip of the, I think it's something like the Japan, the Austria versus New Zealand game of this three v three. Honestly, it's it's about a minute of people not putting the ball in the hoop. Sh- in the net. Yeah. It's just hysterical. It's honestly, it's. I genuinely I think w- w- one of us here would at least get it in the net once in that minute period. Um, it think, was hysterical. I, I mean, a handball is the same. I love watching the Olympics for handball because it's the only time I ever get to see it. It's just, I, I agree with Jim. I think what I like about the Olympics is it's the pinnacle. And to be fair, Sevens is starting to do that. You could see when Fiji, well, was it Fiji's first ever gold at the Olympics? Yes. Or it was one of, you could yeah, see how goal. much it meant to them. And actually, quick segue, if you want a really good book, is Ben Ryan's on how they won that Olympics. The book is absolutely amazing where he literally said, I quickly went over there and realised it was absolutely pointless, me trying to teach them how to do skills coaching or coordination (laughs) or any skills drills. He just, basically, it was just trying to bring in techniques. But like you said, the the culture over there. So it is great to have sports like that. Like like Jim said, it's teams like Kenya and that develop. 
because it meant so much to Fiji. That's, you know, they've, they've always been on the seven stage, but they've never stepped up at 15s for whatever reason. So seeing them go and get a gold now, much it meant, it hopefully does grow the sport. So I think that's the value in it. And I also thought it was hilarious because I remember us all being quite confident that GB would win. And we think, oh, it might be a close game. And they absolutely pumped us in that we were It was like 40 second, odd points, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it, it, was, was it, wasn't a, it wasn't a close game. I, I mean, I, I think... I, I think we kind of we touched on it before about the sevens. It it's definitely a way in for supporters. It's definitely a way in for the smaller nations, the nations that don't have the funding to to fund an entire league system and a fifteen side. It gives it does it does the great. The problem I think is that there is a disconnect between the sevens and the fifteens. It so isn't in, like in this country. In, no, this, country, in this country, sevens yeah. is a summer like three month yeah. window where. The guys that the, the quick guys that play 15s, they'll they'll rock up for their uh, superstar seven squad and do a bit of a tour of different uh, tournaments every, I mean, every yeah, weekend. I, I can vouch for as a prop, we tried to play sevens with you guys at Fat Bloke. So I went to what seven tournaments and I never scored a try. I mean, that is pretty poor isn't it you know you just law of averages you should just law of averages you should think you'd get a try it, you know sevens is hard but yeah it just doesn't have for the women's game it's yeah. also you know you only need 10 for a for a squad you know mm. obviously and and actually um, a lot of a lot of clubs might be struggling a little bit with numbers and if you can't get 20 plus together for a for a 15s game if you only need 10 for a for a sevens game then actually that's that's really good and i'm i'm kind of surprised there aren't more sevens tournaments or sevens sort of leagues running all year round actually i mean obviously there's the the top level the guys that actually choose to be a professional sevens player and do the sevens circuit with england rather than play uh, premiership rugby but there, i but think the reason that doesn't seem to happen at no at a sort of uh, an amateur level i suppose the reason being jim though is is that we've got a, a really well established this is kind of the point i was making we've got a real in the uk we have got a a well established um 15 side club game amateur all the way down i mean it, it was let's be honest professionalism has only, has only been around for 25 years um, it's been it was a, a well-established club game across the country you've got ju- really junior clubs very slightly senior clubs and then you've got the super big clubs like Gloucester Leicester Northampton etc for countries where you haven't even got that so you haven't even got a, 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 a an established league system you haven't got an established club system um, it, it, you've got trying to find trying to find 25 lads to play on a Saturday in Gloucester is difficult enough, mm. you know, who want to play regularly 15 aside of rugby. Then, so you're trying to do that in a country where rugby is a very, very, very minority sport, almost impossible. So sevens would seem to be the most logical solution to that. The problem you've got is that you have to have the exposure to the sevens. And this is where I suppose the Olympics is going to come in. Mm. You're going to get exposure to, this, to the sevens. You're going to maybe start to see sort of almost a, a different, almost a different rugby being developed where you'll have a sevens world of rugby and then you'll have a 15s world of rugby. I mean, it's um, it's like Snowy says, it's the arcade version, isn't it? You could imagine, like, when you see all the offloads in sevens, the, 
the ability for it to it can be continuous. This is as close as you get in rugby to to not often being a lot of breaks in play. You, you can mm. go end to end. That's bound to appeal to places like America. I mean, personally, I'd like to see tens come back because I think Gloucester might have a chance of actually winning a competition if we bought tens. Who was in the interview? They said, "Well, how did you do so well?" He said, "Well, we've been playing ten men rugby for years." Exactly. Yeah, but no. In all seriousness, I think sevens could grow the sport for the reasons yeah. you said ed the one thing i um, we're gonna I, I mean to be fair i think we've done that to death the one thing i wanted to finish on and unless you guys wanted to, to throw any other things into the hat um was um the other code so rugby league is an absolutely shocking week um oh yeah <laughs> and um i'm coming i'm coming from this from someone who's actually got a ticket to the world cup final in november um but um earlier this week new zealand and australia uh withdrew from the Rugby League World Cup, uh, unbeknownst to most of their players, interestingly, uh, it sounds like that the uh, the unions, the uh, the Rugby League authorities in New Zealand and Australia, went, oh no, no, we don't want you to go over; it's too dangerous to the, going to the UK because of COVID. Uh, never mind the fact that um, the cricket teams have gone over in the last couple of in the last few months, and uh, uh, the rugby union sides have kind of been um, starting to tour and do stuff now as well. Um, but the uh, Australian New Zealand standing up, telling the rest of the world how well they managed it all, and eighteen yeah. months on, they, they look the most screwed of everyone, don't they? Well, yeah, because it, it does tend to generally does tend to help that you might have to you might have to vaccinate more than ten people yeah. in your country. Yeah. Um, the, the the problem they've got now, of course, is that the entire Rugby League World Cup is based on the fact it's going to be one off New Zealand versus New, New Zealand or Australia playing England in the final. That's unfortunately the way that Rugby League works. Um, and now without New Zealand and Australia, it does kind of diminish the competition somewhat. Um, what, but, do, but there is a potential knock on... England have a very good chance. <laughs> it does. I mean, if you'd have to stop playing the sport. If they didn't win it now, you'd have to stop playing the sport, wouldn't you, really? <laughs> well, the other thing as well is, because it, there are other knock-ons to this, because um, the Tongan, there's a lot of Tongan and uh, Fijian players who, and Samoan players, I think the other teams, that there are a lot of players that play for the other these countries that are also NRL players that aren't going to probably going to struggle to get released. Um, and um, there's lots of knock-ons because there's also the potential that now Australia and New Zealand might not be able to travel to the UK in the for the union tests in the autumn. There's 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 sort of talk of that happening because. If the league authorities are saying you shouldn't go because it's so dangerous, well, the union authorities need to kind of stand by that as well. Um, so it's it's there's it's a bit of a bit of a shocker there. Do, do, do we think? I mean, it's league, so it's we don't, we don't care as much. I know, but um, it, it isn't good, is it? I mean, you know, we we're all rugby supporters, rugby fans, and we, it's and not we good. Like... I, you'd think you'd think for the the bubble size of a you know, National League team, it's going to be, what, 50? Hmm. 50, 68, maybe 80 people yeah. um, with, all, with all the hangers-on. Surely you can manage that and stick them in a hotel and do all the rest of it. And um, and it, it's a World Cup. You kind of... And, and like you say, Ed, it, there's bigger financial... You know, the, the Rugby League World Cup isn't a huge moneymaker, um, but... The um, Australians and the Kiwis coming over to to Europe for their autumn internationals is a massive money spinner, and 
you've got your the the league players that are going well if we're not able to go and participate in that and get the money that goes with it then don't you dare think that the union players are going to be okay to do it in a few months time yeah i mean that's like Ed said, it, it, you know, you're you're a league, you're a rugby league Australian player, and then you see the union side come over, and you've been told you can't play in the World Cup. It's not a good look, is it? So they they've got they've got to be mindful of all of that. It, it's just a fucking mess, isn't it? How can you have a World Cup where your two two best, two best teams in it don't go? I mean, how would it make you? Well, you know, you're an England player and you win. It's, it's always going to be tainted by that as well, isn't it? Because you're always going to have that thrown at you. Oh, I'm a Rugby League World Cup winner. Oh, yes, but those two teams didn't play and you didn't. Yeah. Or, and you well, played teams that were weakened for the reasons Ed said. It's it's very similar to what happened. If you think, going back to the Olympics, it's similar to what happened in the 80s in the Olympics, you know, where 1980 USA didn't go because it was Moscow. And then the Moscow and, and the Russians and all the Eastern European countries um, uh, retaliated in 84. So the Americans won millions and millions of medals much to the chagrin of Krusty the Clown, if you remember that Simpsons episode. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it isn't a good look. I think generally you want um, all forms of rugby to be successful. I, you know, rugby league has its... I, I'm not a massive rugby league fan. I enjoy it for what it is. Um, and it's a shame that um, potentially that, um, one, that, you know, we're not going to see the best players in the world playing. And secondly, that I might have another thing that gets cancelled. Um so uh, that's that's going to be another thing. I've got. I, I, I mean, they could always get. There's enough Aussie and New Zealand expats, particularly in London. Just make a New Zealand team of expats. They'll probably make it to the final in league with the depth of the international <laughs> teams. To be honest, yeah, I know. But um, yeah. So anyway, on that note, uh, Snowy, is there anything you wanted to sort of throw in, Jim? Want to throw anything? You want to throw in at the end quickly? Are you happy? No, all good for me. All good for you. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to leave it there. Um, we've got the second test next week, um, which, uh, you know, we as we said last week, it could be 2-0, could be game over, and we could be looking for a, uh, a serious whitewash for the first time in about, I think it's 70 years. Something um, like that. Something like that. So that will be good. Um, and um, just a quick note to say that Gloucester River, I think, I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but we've got a another preseason friendly um, lined up against uh, Coventry um, away, from what I believe, on the 11th yeah. of September. I think it's off the back of me asking for another one, <laughs> just just to help with Ludlow's. Band. All down to you, Jim. Yeah. yeah. So that does mean that Ludlow might even get a preseason game in is good um right <laughs> um on that note thank you very much guys appreciate your time again and we will speak again next week yeah best luck to the men and women at the olympics indeed i mentioned at the beginning of the pod we've got a special uh, interview uh this today um and it's with uh, an american gloucester supporter uh, from uh, Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, uh, Bill Batterstone, um, who has followed us on Twitter, has, has commented before, and um, I thought it would be a good idea to get him on because we kind of had sort of general comments and, and conversations about American rugby and sort of the growth of American rugby. Uh, we've had some conversations about what on earth a seawolf is and also uh, the American uh, World Cup bid, which we've... Um, uh, we're kind of intrigued about and definitely up for coming over to the States. Um, now, thank you very much for joining me, Bill. It's very, it's great to have you on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a, a real honor to, to join the pod. I've been listening uh, for the last uh, year or so, and uh, I appreciated the invitation. I'm happy to be here. 
Great. Um, what I wanted to do to start off with, because um, uh, for people who are, who are tuning in, um, obviously you can't see Bill, but uh, I can, and he's wearing a lion shirt, which is really weird for me, because obviously an American has no connection with the British and Irish lions. But um, so we'll, we'll just a brief sort of chat about the uh, the lions. How did you see the game today? How did you how did you think it went? I mean, obviously we won, uh, which is a great thing. But how, how did you see the game? Well, I thought it was a exciting game, you know, and I. I... I've followed England for, for the last couple of years, and we can get into that about how I got connected with Gloucester. But um, so, yeah, so I was supporting the Lions. I thought it was a good game. And, and I know, you know, you and I had chatted briefly about it beforehand, but I thought that the first half, the, the discipline was poor as a whole, you know, and that, that's what I think they were fortunate to, to get into halftime with the deficit they had at nine points. And in the second half, you know, a couple lucky breaks, I think a couple lucky bounces. I thought Watson was fortunate not to get a yellow. I think if that's a yellow card, that match turns out different. But um, overall, a win is a win, right? And I thought the fitness level was was strong. And it, I think mean, it was clear, and we've talked about that. You guys have talked extensively about that this year with tests, that just the fitness level seems like some of these some of these sides are still catching up, right? With, with a lack of games. And I thought South Africa, that kind of set it in the second half. I don't know what you thought, but yeah, I, I agree with that. And, I, and um, it was definitely a tactic. We saw it in the first half. I mean, I think there was a something like a five minute period where the ball was in play in that first 20 minutes. And it was just I mean, it was it was knackering watching it. Um, and I um, I definitely felt that that was probably going to pay off. Um, it was just a case of whether they could keep the discipline and keep within the game. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm sure the guys will, will comment on this. Um, we'll comment this sort of more extensively, but. We did feel in our chat. We did feel that um, the there were, it was we were kind of looking almost that it might be a mistake that cost the Lions rather than South Africa were going to do something spectacular and win it. So I think that's probably a good place to be. Um, it wasn't a perfect performance. Uh, it was a scrappy win, and um, going one 0 up in a three match test series, you 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 got to take it because you know next Saturday it could be all over. Which so that's that's a, that's a definite yeah. plus. And um, I the, the, the Lions scrum, I thought, held up pretty well in the second mm. half, for sure. You know, and in the early going, I texted a friend of mine and said we were a little nervous if that was going to be the, the <laughs> how the next 80 were going to go after the first couple. But um, I thought the scrum held up well. And, um, you know, the like you said, a win is a win, right? And it doesn't have to be the prettiest when you're not trying to get bonus points. You're not trying to, you know, stack up against the table. You're just trying to get a victory. So win's a win. Yeah, it, there's, a, there's a definite argument where maybe there has to be a bit more entertainment. Um, it is difficult, though, because test match series are what the lines are based on. And I suppose you need to you need to have the wins in the test series to, to make it kind of well, to kind of justify the lines full stop. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. it is a, it, it, that's the problem. But, you know, we'll see. Second test, I think there's going to be some changes, hopefully some Gloucester involvement. Uh, I think Chris Harris had the best game at centre he's ever had and he didn't even play. Um, so there's um, there's definite, uh, I think they might he might be popping into the into the first 15 next week. Um, right, moving on to yourself. Um, now, we'll come on to the Gloucester bit in a minute, but obviously, um, you know, you're based in Pittsburgh um, and my understanding of hotbeds, of, you know, hotbeds and heartlands of American rugby, it's not my... Uh, it not and, and my understanding is not a particularly uh, heart, big heartland of American rugby, but you are a rugby supporter. So where did you, where did you kind of fall in love with rugby generally? Where were your earliest rugby memories? Yeah, so I think you know the one thing about American rugby, and this has probably been true for the last thirty or forty years, it's it's very collegiate and club heavy. 
Um, and when we say that a lot of colleges will have, you know, club teams, but they're not scholarship guys are playing just because they want to play a lot more women's teams in the collegiate level. So my own experience with working, my dad played, my dad played collegiately and he always talks about, you know, when he was a, a, fir a first year college student, he went for a football scholarship, hated football, the collegiate football. So quit after three days, guy said, come out, play rugby. And uh, my dad always laughs that he went to a couple training sessions, but the first ever rugby match he ever saw, he played in, right? So, so that gives you, <laughs> yeah. So, so that gives you a sense for, you know, that was 1982, mm. but you know, still, I think it gives you a sense for the the collegiate level. And it became, I think, back then in the 70s, 80s, it was more of the drinking culture, the social culture, right, of rugby. And I think the game was always secondary. Yeah. Um, and so my, my first exposure, my dad took me to a couple games growing up as a kid just to watch the local club team play um, if he knew they were in town just to get me watching. I played, you know, football my whole life, you know, wrestled. And so um, any sort of contact sport, team sport, I was always into. So um, he started to introduce it to me a little bit. I got an Eagle shirt when I was a kid, you know, for Christmas one year. Um, but then kind of fast forward to college, you know, I was got got saw an invitation for for the men's local men's team uh went out to a couple trainings coached the local high school team um and picked it up as a, as a as an adult so the first time i played in the game i was 22 and just playing local club rugby um played for seven years kind of moved around and then took up the whistle so now i i referee um men's teams and and collegiate sides over here so I think the thing is, you know, like I said, the long-winded answer is, you know, everywhere in the United States, you're going to find a rugby club, right? You're going to find one. And, and I've moved three times, four times as an adult. And every time I've moved, I've joined the local rugby team. And it's been a terrific end to just meet people. I think it's just that social environment over here because it is so niche, right? It's not so public. It's not so in your face. And so the community is really tight knit. Um, so that's, that's been my introduction to it. And then obviously, like I said, in my adulthood, uh, become much more of a fan and, and followed it more closely. And um, so that's, that's how I got into it. And I think that's how, if you talk to the average everyday rugby American, they would say the same thing. Some, something similar, right? Do you, do you find, I mean, I'm interested, obviously, because, you know, you been talking about the community and the rugby communities themselves. Um, it, it, is it sort of, there are, are there expats, you know, not just English or, or you know, expats from sort of um, uh, Samoa or Fiji or Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. Do you get, do you kind of get that as well intermingled? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's different levels and, and not to go into too much detail about it. Right. But, you know, there's different levels of the club game and I don't know how England sets up with this, but, you know, you've got your D3 clubs, which are kind of your rec league, you know, things yeah. twice a week all the way up to your, your division one sides, which are your, you know, really competitive traveling a lot could get a televised game here or there. Um, those, those sides will bring in Samoans, they'll bring in Fijians, they'll bring in people and they'll find them work, you know, get them a work visa and they can move their family here and they're paying, you know, basically to get those guys in. Yeah. They've got some sponsorships and the clubs that I played for, if, if we had somebody who wasn't from the United States who had any sort of rugby background, they were immediately appointed the captain, the, the, coach, <laughs> the, the, the team coordinator. You know, I've played with some guys from New Zealand. I've played with some guys from South Africa and, and they just, and it was always amazing to me as somebody who was new to the game, the, the detail, even that somebody like, 
you could bring, right? Somebody who, who has experienced it their whole life. And I think, you know, we could say the same thing about baseball or American football, right? That yeah, of course. I sat down, I think, you know, you're just, you grow up with it. So you have that experience. So um, my rugby education has been from a lot of people who, you know, come over, they'll play and, and they'll just kind of teach you things they probably learned in, in middle school and high school that, that we never got exposed to or taught, right? I think you might be overestimating my ability, by the way, for suggesting that I might have anything to game. But um, certainly, you know, I, it is, um, I'm, I'm sure, I think as we, uh, when Jim hears this, uh, Jim particularly when he hears this, I think he might be looking to book flights because I'm sure he wants to be, you know, uh, some sort of uh, coach or, or captain. He, of, he, of a, he could be the all, he could be an All-American. He could captain <laughs> our team to a national championship if he wants to come over, for sure. And we can find him a job over here. <laughs> well you need firefighters so you know that's, that's, yeah, that's right. uh, exactly you always need firefighters um that's good so uh, obviously we're going to kind of move on now to the to the, the the big question really which is you know you, you've obviously grown up to an extent with rugby um now you can choose any single rugby team <laughs> in the uk basically in europe you don't have to even be you know in english following english uh, team and you decided to choose a parochial little club which has got a lot of history um a lot of uh a, a, you know a few legends a vocal fan base but let's be honest not the most successful team in the world why on earth did you find, did you decide on gloucester well it's, it's and it's actually kind of a fun story that i like to tell people so uh my dad and i went to the sevens world cup in san francisco a couple of years ago and uh we had gone out there for the weekend and um, the first night we're at the pub and we sit down and there's a table for four, but it's just the two of us. And in about 10 minutes, the place gets packed with rugby fans and we're having our beer and we look up and there's these two guys in England shirts, clearly a father's son that kind of walked in. We're looking for a place to sit down. So my dad and I kind of scoot to the side. We invite them over. They sit down and just like anything else with rugby, right? You start talking rugby, have a couple drinks. All of a sudden you're we we're placing wagers on the games the next day. We're talking about meeting up this morning to watch. You know, we're singing songs, whatever else might be. So, uh, created a friendship with uh, his name's Matt Pates um, and his dad Tim, and they live in Cheltenham. And so, uh, get to know them a little bit through the weekend. Finish the weekend and say, you know, hey, let's let's do this again. And they had never been to Las Vegas, and so fast forward a couple months later, they flew out to Las Vegas. We fly out. We meet them out there. And had another weekend and so uh, we're sitting at breakfast the first day and he hands me this cherry and white shirt this red and white shirt with stripes and uh, he's like here's a little gift from us for, to you guys and it's a it's a Gloucester shirt and he's telling me about the club and I my understanding or knowledge of the premiership before that was pretty limited I mean I could have told you like Saracens could have told you Northampton but that was pretty much it yeah um and so they're sitting at breakfast and all of a sudden I look down and he's like cussing at his phone. His dad's getting pissed. I I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Well, Gloucester's blowing some game, right? They're, they're losing. <laughs> and they're, we're trying to eat breakfast at, you know, 8 a.m. in Las Vegas. And they're just furious <laughs> at the table. And so I'm standing there with this shirt and he's there saying this team sucks. We can't win. And so I'm like, well, this, you know, a loyal fan base a perennial, you know, underachiever, a team that, you know, is going to probably get my hopes up, but ultimately disappoint me, sign me up. And so, <laughs> I'll take it. so uh, wear my Gloucester shirt with pride. And uh, that was actually the year. So, so 
and it's fun because Matt and I are still friends. You know, he's been over to Pittsburgh and uh, my wife and I are expecting our first child. We FaceTimed him when we found out just to let him know because he is an important, he's a good friend to us. And um, so anyway, so I like being able to talk to him about it, you know, and he, he would readily admit he's more pessimistic probably than I am. You know, <laughs> he's pretty, he can get pretty fired up, but um, it's, it's been, it's been really enjoyable to have a club to follow because, you know, I think it just waking up and our game, the games here, you know, they're at 10 AM on Saturdays. Yeah. I can wake up, you know, go for a workout or whatever, have some breakfast, hang out in the house and put it on in the morning. And uh, so it's been fun to follow. And like I said, it's a, uh, but yeah, so that's how I got into Gloucester. It wasn't certainly wasn't necessarily my choice, but you know, a, a chance meeting in San Francisco turned into a friendship, which turned into a, a Gloucester fanhood. That's been, you know, not, I wouldn't say rewarding necessarily, but uh, it's been enjoyable for sure. I, I mean, to be fair, it's never really a choice. I said, I mean, I grew up, uh, we've all got the stories of why we support Gloucester. It's generally because we're around from the area and it generally sure. would be involved our parents or fathers, particularly bringing us along to games. Um, and it always, it's always amazed me. Like, you know, I, I, you may remember we, I had an interview with a Walker who's based up in Edinburgh, who, randomly yeah. came down to a game a few years ago and, and has fallen in love with a club. Um, you know, there's these, these, I, I think, I don't even think it's just unique to Gloucester either. The, the way that rugby and sport can kind of connect people. Um, it, it is magical at times. And I do, I, but I just, the thought that you just randomly met these two blokes in a pub in San Francisco, and they've led you down a path of darkness and despair <laughs> that you'll never escape from. is just wonderful. I think it's brilliant. Well done them. Well, um, also, I'll also say though, in, in fairness to them, that that first season I followed was when Gloucester finished top four, mm. and so I'm thinking in my head, this is this is wonderful. Mm. I say I'm waking up in the morning seeing them beat teams by 30 points. We're in the playoff, smooth sailing, and then I think it's been uh, I don't need to tell you guys. It's all no. <laughs> and that's why I listen to the pod because, and that's part of why. And I think I, I told you guys this, but you know, why I, I like the pod, there's nobody here to, you know, get miserable with, right? So <laughs> when Gloucester throws one away on a weekend, yeah. I have nobody to complain to. I'll, I'll tell my wife and she goes, you know, I, what do I care? She, no. She's not been hearing it. And so I listen to you guys because that's the closest I have to a group of friends at a pub getting upset after a game. So I appreciate the work you guys do too. Well, that's very kind of you. And, and to be fair, that's that's kind of the whole point, really. It's just to, it's it's to collectivize our pain um, and somehow make it better. Um, but I, so I, the sort of the next step on it, really, I suppose, is so you, are you obviously at the moment, COVID is is kind of ruined everybody's lives. Um, and uh, but have you got and, you, I, I, and I'm, I'm now conscious you've got a, a young a young child on the way. Um, have you sort of kind of looked at potentially coming over to the, to the UK and getting a, a couple of games in, or is that it? I'm assuming that is an, that is a plan in, in, in motion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, we had plans, you know, my dad and I were going to get to the London sevens uh, right, right before COVID hit. So, mm. so 2020 and, uh, and so that obviously got canceled. Um, but I've been texting with Matt back and forth and, and telling him, you know, he's trying to get me over for an England match at Twickenham. Yep. Uh, I've actually toured Twickenham before years ago. We, we got a chance to tour it, but I've never seen a rugby game there. So, um, but I go back and forth and part of me, you know, obviously I think seeing England would pl play at Twickenham would be unbelievable, but 
I think, you know, what I really want to do is go to King's home on a Friday night. I think that that's something that I've always, that's kind of on my bucket list now of, of sporting events. And, you know, you watch the broadcast and you see the shed and you see all these, and I've watched every YouTube video there is out there about fan mm. experience or what a Gloucester game's like. And um, I just, uh, so, so the plan hopefully is, you know, sometime this spring um, to be able to get over for a game for sure. Well, I have to do this because, as you may know, every time I interview anybody, I have to offer a pint. So that's, I think, 13 now. So it's going to be a really, really expensive. I'm, I'm really hoping it's just not the same game because otherwise it's going to be a really expensive night for me. Um, but definitely, as and when you do get over, we will, I'm sure we will all meet up and you will um, you will be definitely welcomed in. And, um, you know, to, the, what the wonderful thing, as you know, we talk about rugby, about how, how inclusive it is and how um, welcoming it is. Um, you know, if you were to walk into the shed and, um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily stay there. You know, I'm, just, I'm, 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 I'm quite happy in my nice seat across the road, across the way, but, um, you know, if you just go and stand in the shed for an evening, um, you will definitely be welcomed and, um, you will make friends for life, to be honest, um, like you already have. Um, well, I wanted to quickly now move on to, um, a few other bits and pieces about, um, yeah. sort of American rugby, really. Um, now we've kind of touched on it on the pod a few times, just because I, I think, you know, we, we, we're quite, we, we, we like this idea of these new emerging markets, um, particularly in, in for rugby. And and our favourite thing at the moment is the wonderful MLR. And it's just bonkers names, clubs, um, uh, and just like some of the stuff that's coming out of there. Some of this, like, you know, what was the one the other day? The, the, the guy who was about to take a conversion and the mascot went past uh, trying to, you're not going to get a lot of respect to kicker in the United States. That's no, sure. it was it was remarkable. I mean, that was talk about rugby values. That one went out the window on that one. Um, so, what's you? I mean, because obviously you what you you know you're you're watching the the Premiership, which is obviously a much higher standard. Let's let's be honest about this. Do, do you do you find the MLS an enjoyable watch? Do you kind of have to kind of put yourself uh, maybe maybe sort of park some of the stuff you're used to seeing in terms of watching rugby and just enjoy the experience as it is? Uh, how do you find it? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things in play, right? So, so with the Premiership, and I don't know how familiar you know you guys are with with the market out here and how it's televised, but it's all been moved to NBC Sports, and mm-hmm. NBC Sports has been phenomenal with broadcasting sporting events. Their, their broadcasts are, are top notch, and so they have an app now where all the the Premier League and the Premiership is all in kind of one central hub. So the the Premiership's become a lot more accessible for your everyday rugby fan, even in the last year, Um, because before it was, you know, 50 bucks, you had to pay for a specific subscription. Now it's all folded into the same Premier Premier League uh, subscription. So even like my friends who weren't consuming any rugby before, are now because it's available to them. And, and oh, I think okay. that's, that's, that's a big step, right? And so, you know, for me, I can watch Gloucester without having to like buy extra packages, but I can also still see the Premier League and everything else. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a side note. I think the thing about the MLR is it's all been run through a, a free, the rugby network, which is a free streaming service. You just have yep. to sign up for it. So that part has been phenomenal. The problem is the quality of the broadcast is hit or miss, right? So yep. sometimes it can be really difficult to see. Sometimes the camera's off. Sometimes the commentary is, is, is not good, you know, and that's not a knock on. I think, you know, guys like down Stanford are, you know, doing a ton to move the game forward in the United States. And he's a phenomenal ambassador for rugby when he's on the comm, it's very good, but sometimes you get local guys. It's just not as positive. Right. So from a watch perspective, the MLR is a tougher viewing for sure. Um, 
Now they've gotten some national games, which I think helps because, you know, the, the bars and the restaurants are, aren't open and the Premier League deals with it too, right? But there's the niche kind of soccer market of like a soccer pub or something like that that'll open at 7 a.m. Yeah. We're not getting that for rugby in the United States. So with the MLR, you'll get a nationally televised game once a weekend on CBS Sports or something like that. And you'll be in a, a bar or restaurant and you'll see it on a TV. The problem is, and you guys have talked about it, it's not an easily approachable game for somebody who knows nothing about it. And that's the challenge, right? So is it a watchable product for a rugby fan? Absolutely. Right. It is. And I think you got to see it for what it is. You got to see it like you're watching, you know, a second or third tier, you know, professional rugby league. Yeah. Uh, Is it, is it a good watch for somebody who's trying to get into the game or, or unfamiliar with it? That could probably be debated. Yeah, I think it's that issue, isn't it? I mean, so from a, I think if you had to ask a lot of Brits, particularly my generation, sort of like late 30s, mid to late 30s, um, what would you think an American would view rugby? I think a lot of them would go, there's that episode in Friends where they kind of ruin rugby in that one episode of Friends, um, um, which it's it's hilarious, but they ruin rugby. Um, and I think that's that's often sort of the way it looks. But one one element of rugby and one area of rugby where you can now expecting to see really vast improvements is the Sevens side of things. And you've only kind of already referenced it. You've been to the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco. You've been to Vegas Sevens. Um, and you were hoping to come over to the UK for the London Sevens. Um, now, since it's an Olympic sport, we kind of almost expect that the US will be not maybe not dominant. Let's because let's be honest, it takes time. But you're going to definitely be medal contenders. You're going to be up there and looking fairly decent, even this year, I would imagine. Um, do you think that's probably where it'll, you'll find the market will end up going to, just because of the Olympic side of things? Yeah, well, I think you know one of the things that I think you you have to understand when you talk about rugby growth in the United States and and getting athletes in and this is true with you know this debate's been going on in the united states for years around soccer right is is we're we're, go- we're not even qualifying for world cups and you're sitting here going how is the united states not qualifying for a world cup in soccer when you're seeing the athletes in the nfl and the nba and, and you're seeing these guys and you're going if they picked up a soccer ball as a kid you know would they would we have been in a world cup right could lebron james play keeper for the united states i'd like to think he probably could but there's just no market there, right? So I think when you're talking about sevens versus 15s, a lot of the sevens players, even on the Olympic squad for the United States, are not, they weren't born and bred in rugby, right? Now, a few of them are. Madison Hughes is one who who played rugby his whole life and he captains the team. But guys like Perry Baker, Carlin Isles, Stephen Thomasine, these guys picked it up later in life. They were athletes, they were track stars, they were football players sevens in that way is a more approachable game i think for these guys the skill set involved in a sevens game of rugby is different than a skill set for a 15s and so i think that even talking with somebody like steven thomasine who went to college for football you know decided he didn't want to play picked up club rugby played 15s but then for him and he he speaks very openly about this he chose sevens because of the olympics right he chose sevens because he wants to play for the country and knows that you know, again, if, if, if you're asking a, even an 18 year old or a 22 year old, do you want to play in the, do you want to have a shot at the Olympics or do you want to get beat by 70 points by Ireland? You, you know what I mean? Like those, those are your two options. I think a lot of these guys are going to pick the sevens because again, the touring schedule is awesome. They're going yeah. to unbelievable places. 
the, the, the workload in terms of like a season schedule is pretty limited, right? It's not, you know, a 10 month season. These guys are doing other things on the side and you have a chance to represent your country at the highest level. And I think that if the United States is going to grow a 15th program, they're going to, have to start to break that stigma. And I think the only way they're going to do that is they're going to have to have some success. And how do you have success? You got to get, you got to convince guys to do it. Right. And that comes all the way back full circle to the MLR and trying to get more eyes on the game. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think also just, um, and I might be being kind of being a little bit generalistic here, but the one thing you kind of see, and you get told this a little bit about the American audience and about how, Obviously, as we all know, that you know, you're going to have a core in any support, any sport. About they, they understand the the real ethos of the game and, and understand the, how the game works. But from as you said earlier, the, the, for most casual supporters, people who kind of pick it up, maybe at the Olympics, for example, pick it up just watching it casually. Sevens is a far more approachable game to watch. There's less technical stuff you need to know. Um, they can, you know, you can. It's it's fast paced. There's score. It's lots of scoring. Um, you're not going to end up with a three all draw um, in after 80 minutes with pouring down the rain and, and, a, and a mud bath. Um, it's generally played in nice weather. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things that go for sevens. And I think knowing kind of a little bit about the American audience and about how Americans consume sport, um, you know, it took a long time and, you know, it took a very long time for football to take off, you know, soccer to take off in the States. Mm-hmm. And they went through a lot of time. I mean, even even in terms of the MLS, um, the the way that uh, they sort of tinkered around the edges with some rule changes and making sure there weren't ties and having those really weird penalty shootouts and stuff, which are kind of fun. But you know, all of those sort of things that happened in the like the late '90s after the World Cup, um, it kind of alienated the high, the kind of hardcore normal supporters, and then kind of just pissed off everyone else anyway because it wasn't proper soccer. Um, and it's taken a long time. It's only really now that sort of the MLS is kind of an established league. Um, and um, you're now starting to see the fruits of the labour in terms of, although they didn't qualify for the last World Cup, it's almost certain they'll qualify for the next one. And I would imagine they'll probably be de- a fairly decent shout to get out of the group. So, you know, there's, there's, I think you're right. The biggest issue they've got is, is a chicken and egg for the 15 side. I want to come on to it now, which is really, do you need, do you think you need the World Cup first, almost, to get, um, to get sort of the participation of the viewers and kind of the understanding of the game before you can kind of develop the league, which is what happened with soccer, or would you say you need to get the participation before you get the World Cup? It's, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And that's truly the, the multi-million dollar question, right? When you're talking about <laughs> US rugby. And, and I'm not going to, I don't want to go into details about the U.S. rugby kind of financial situation, because I think that's been, you know, well documented by, you know, <laughs> the, the, the worldwide, you know, media for rugby. But I think the, the, the to answer your question, yeah, I think there's a couple of parts here. But when you think about the MLS, the MLS and the reason why it got so much attention was it was meant to grow the national team. Right. I mean, that was that was part of why they said we needed a domestic, a strong domestic professional league has that has that really come to fruition? Has the MLS accomplished what it really set out to do? We could debate that, right? Because again, you're talking about the United States missing out on a World Cup. I do think they'll be more competitive, right? And they've, they've gotten out of the group in the past. Um, everybody loves Landon Donovan, right? So, mm. <laughs> you know, they've, they've, they've had relative success, but, you know, that was really the creation of the MLS. The MLR is facing a similar, you know, issue now. I mean, we're four years into the league 
And is the goal of the MLR to grow exposure to rugby to try to get more kids and more young adults to take it on? Or is the goal to try to churn out eagles, right? Is the goal trying to develop guys who are post-college and say, look, come play rugby. And in three years time, you might be playing against England. I think if that's the goal, like what you're going to see is the results you saw, right? Because yeah. the guy who picks it up at 21 is not going to be able to compete with an England side. I don't care if it's the A, B or C side. So that's really the conversation. And I think the issue that, that people are going to have is that I don't know how much development and growth you're going to see from, from the 15 side over the next two, three years when a bid is finally given for the World Cup. And so a roundabout answer to your question is, I think you almost need the World Cup first, yeah. you know, and, and, and the reality is, you know, the United States might get the World Cup in 2031 and they might not win a game. Right. And I think the, the, the optimist in me thinks they can win one. Right. I even think they could win one in four years because mm -hmm. the MLR is starting to grow these guys and they are a little bit younger. Um, but, you know, I think you need you need the eyes on it. And I think the challenge for for American rugby right now is there's no good test matches for the United States no. that are easily viewable. They play Canada twice a year. But, you know, is that on national TV and how many people are tuning in? Um, and all the good Six Nation games are early in the morning on the weekends, right? And they'll show some replays here and there. But I think you need a city. You need to see the, the big tests come. And you, you'll, you'll draw people, right? And I know you guys talked about that in your last episode about the matches in Chicago getting 65,000, 70,000 people, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I could argue that, and I know it got brought up. I forgot who brought it up on the podcast that, you know, well, it's a lot of Irish fans that travel, a lot of New Zealand fans that travel. It's also a lot of a, a drunk Americans and Americans that put on an Ireland shirt, right? Or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. We, we understand. Yeah. You're like, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you once ate, you know, if you once ate uh, or drank a pint of Guinness, you're kind of half Irish immediately, aren't you? It's, it's you know, there are some tenuous Irish links. Um, and uh, yeah, no, we, we know that. Um, so um, I, I do think I do. So my my opinion on it is I agree with you. I think it has to be the World Cup first. Um just and it it's always going to be the same because you see how much Japanese rugby. I mean, Japanese rugby got a massive boost in 2015 um, when Eddie Jones was coaching. They had that amazing win against South Africa, yeah. which was a fluke. I mean, let's it was it was one of those games. It comes along once in a generation, but what the Japanese rugby uh, guy, what the sort of association did afterwards, the, the JRFU, they kind of seized the opportunity. They knew they were ahead of the World Cup, which is brilliant but they seized on that opportunity and built from it. Uh, and now you've got the, 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 the top league over in Japan, um, you know, attracting really big stars. Um, the quality again is dubious. I mean, it's very similar. I would say it's akin to MLR. There's not actually a huge amount of difference. Probably the only difference would be is that the guys who've gone to um, the top league are younger. So they're kind of more current internationals where in the DMLR, they're more kind of towards the tail end of their careers. And, and that's, that's, you know, natural because it's a less established market. Japanese rugby's well established; it's just not as good. Um, and um, so, I, I mean, I think definitely from there's two reasons why I think one: I really hope America gets it because it's a wonderful country. I, I love the states; it's a fantastic place to to go to and visit. And it's it's different. You know, people think of New York and LA, and kind of they're the two ends of it. But everything in between is is wonderful too. Um, uh, that's the first reason. And secondly, it would be the greatest road trip ever i mean it really would imagine if you're an england fan and you've got to go to like chicago but you've got to play in chicago you've got to play in san francisco and you've got to play in 
Dallas or something like that. I mean, that'd be the most amazing road trip ever. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, and that's, I think whenever you talk about these, I don't even call them secondary sports, but you've got your four main sports in the United States, right? You've got the, the, the NFL is going to always be king, right? That's always going to draw the most audience. And you've got the NBA, you've got Major League Baseball, and you've got National Hockey League. And when you put those four sports together, you're every, everybody's competing for time, for airtime, for a schedule. I think the one thing MLR has done well is they've picked a schedule that, that fits, right? It's, it's kind of yeah. late spring. So they're trying to find a window where, you know, the NBA playoffs just wrapped up last week. You know, think yeah. about that. It started in November. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. A lot of room there right and the fall is obviously going to be taken up and i think that's going to be the challenge for the world cup here is, is where do you play and how do you get it televised where it's not always up against college football and the nfl and i think if, if they can work out a way to to bring it into cities to get tv windows where it's not always in competition because i'll tell you right now if if this city was if the steelers were on at 1 p.m and the United States rugby teams playing in the World Cup at 2 p.m., nobody's watching the United States. And that's just the reality of it, right? So in that instance, you have to talk about, like, what's what's practical, what cities are going to host. And I know you guys got into that a little bit when you guys talked about it, too. But there's plenty of options. It's just about how do you maximize the market and the eyes on it and really capitalize on that growth. Um, because I think there is there are a lot of people that want to see. The one thing about American rugby supporters, and I consider myself to be one of them, we're very passionate about trying to grow and educate people in the game, right? And so any opportunity I have to talk about rugby, to try to teach people about rugby, um, sometimes I recommend a Gloucester game, but you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a dangerous thing to do, mate. <laughs> There's only a handful, like usually I'll say like, hey, you really want to watch this game when they played Ulster? Cause it was awesome, you know? But otherwise, yeah. like, don't, don't, don't watch them. <laughs> don't watch it when they played, you know, sale. But, um, I think that, that that's, you know, a big part of it too, when you're talking about the United States trying to get a World Cup. Yeah. I mean, to, to you're right there. I, I, think, I think the biggest thing, um, I've always found it whenever I've been to the States and, and they kind of I wear a Gloucester shirt around and, and you sort of people, you get some weird inquisitive looks. Um, uh, I, I remember being in New York um, back in 2007 and I walked into a, into a store and I had a Gloucester shirt on. This guy just instantly knew it was a Gloucester shirt. And and I was like, he did not look like a he did not look like a guy who knew rugby. I'll put it that way. And um, he was saying, oh, he watched it the other weekend. He was watching they play Bath, and he watched the win. It was amazing. And I'm like, wow, that's um, new. That's different. Um, and so you know, I, I suppose that's a good question here. So where, where you've got your Gloucester shirt? Have you have you ever been somewhere wearing a Gloucester shirt where someone's going? Because this is what happens: you wear a Gloucester shirt anywhere in the world, and then randomly, from some distant part of a park or a bar you'll hear Gloucester have you had that yet have you had that anywhere yet I haven't had that yet but I have had a lot of people who will say you know oh I'm from Bath or you know I've got family that are big Northampton supporters so um, you know like the security I walked into a place the other day and the security guard you know any but he clearly had a British accent I didn't right, talk okay. to him too much but he clearly knew and, and made a comment about Gloucester so I haven't had anybody and that's where I say I 
I make the joke that I'm the president, the founder, and the sole member of the Pittsburgh Gloucester Supporters Club. I'm still recruiting members. Um, <laughs> I believe I'm the only one out here at the moment, at least to my knowledge. So um, that has it's it, the Steelers are that way, right? The Pirates are that way. You, you wear something no matter where you go, somebody will say something. But I have not had that yet with Gloucester. No, it will happen. It'll definitely happen. You'll happen in a really random place as well. Um, so you'll be somewhere totally like. You know, you'll be somewhere like I don't know, somewhere in Alabama, and you'll be into it. You go into a city or a town, and there'll be some random guy sat there who'll just suddenly go start doing. Uh, we are the Gloucester Boys. It, it honestly, the the they're weird and wonderful. We're out there in vast numbers, just hidden. Um, and so, um, but you do have somebody. I say you mentioned you've got a a, a a young a baby on the way, so that's at least number two on on the uh, supporters association Pittsburgh Gloucester Rugby Sports Association. Yeah, and my wife, I would say my wife is like, she she loves Matt. And so I think she'll, she loves, we watched that we woke up and watched the England final um, when they were in the World Cup. And we, you know, we'll watch some Gloucester games together and she'll always ask how Matt's doing. So I would say my wife is is an honorary member. You know, I would say she, she she's part-time, she pays her dues, but um, definitely the little one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't convince the little one, there is really no hope, isn't there? I mean, let's be honest. But um, you, I think definitely the way to get your wife on board is is um, obviously take her over, take her with you to, to the UK, and um, and and make sure that um, we just get her on the cider. That's that'll, it. That'll be <laughs> it. That, that's that'll that'll win. Um, well, Bill, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's it's been a really really good excellent chat, and I I really appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll definitely touch keep in touch because. Um, Obviously, you you are holding the the uh, the end up over that side of the Atlantic. So thank you very much for that. Um, and as I said, as and when you're able to travel and you're able to get over here, uh, we will I welcome you with open arms. Um, and um, yeah, the first pint's on me. Oh, well, I really appreciate it, and uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to join you. And uh, make sure you guys. I expect you know reciprocal fanhood. So. When the Steelers kick off in a couple of weeks, I expect all the the a little segment on a on a Cherry Jam podcast about how the Steelers are doing, and I'll certainly take you guys up on the pint for sure. And uh, I just appreciate all the work you guys are doing. Thanks for keeping me company because, like I said, misery loves company, and and sometimes the pot is is the best I can get with a Gloucester game. So well, don't worry, we're definitely we're definitely happy to share our misery and pain. It's uh, <laughs> it's it is as I said, we we like to collectivize it and uh, and uh, and. If we can, if we can encourage others to to um, feel our pain, it's um, it's very much worthwhile. And, Thank you very much, I will, Bill. I do I do have a Seawolf shirt upstairs that I'll send you. So you, you excellent. You we'll we'll find out what a Seawolf is. Yeah, we 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 can't. We, we're going to leave it as a mystery. We don't really want the answer. So my one of my best friends is from Seattle. I do want to say one of my best friends is from Seattle. Now I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but he's from Seattle, and he says that you know they that's kind of the slang for that killer whale. So that's kind of the a sea wolf is the the killer whale, but I think he's stretching it a little bit. But it doesn't look like a wolf to me. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a mean looking free willy. So yeah, exactly. Just that. Well, yeah, they are. To be fair, killer yeah. whales are just absolute bastards. We all know that. <laughs> On that note, um, thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate thank it. You.